Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. Don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rages Moment, I want to give you a heads up on the hottest scam going on in the United States, costing people big money and potentially their identity as well. And, wow, there's a ripoff theme. Coming up yet later, there's a ripoff on college campuses that had gone somewhat quiet that has now roared back its dirty business from the banks, paying kickbacks to colleges, cheating their own students. I'm going to fill you on on what they're up to to harm people so the colleges and the banks can line their fat pockets. I want to talk right now about something Consumer Reports is doing. Consumer Reports is doing more and more to be relevant in people's lives where there are people who feel like, oh, that's granddad's publication or that's my aunt's publication. You know, that's so old school, that Consumer Reports thing. And so they, in this new digital era, are looking more and more for ways to keep Consumer Reports relevant and make it compelling for people who are particularly in their 20s and 30s. And I am a longtime believer in Consumer Reports. I love that they are unbought and unbossed. If you're not familiar, they never take any advertising it is essentially a co-op where everything is paid for by the members to get unbiased advice and as we've had more and more issues with all the phony reviews on websites and all the rest it becomes even more clear as people game the system that consumer reports is still a great place for you to go to get advice and information and reviews Well, Consumer Reports has long had its strongest connection to people in the marketplace with vehicles. Consumer Reports reviews of cars, trucks, and SUVs are the most credible and respected in the industry. But then what? Consumer Reports has tried for years to come up with a good way to offer people assistance when they go specifically to buy a new car. And now they are doing, for their members, a joint venture with TrueCar that makes it better than normal TrueCar. TrueCar is a service that I used to love, now I'm wishy-washy on because they've done some things of late to make dealers more happy than consumers. But in the partnership with Consumer Reports, if you're buying a new car, truck, or SUV, paying for a membership just to have access to this platform may be worth it. It makes it very similar to the platform that USAA members have if they're going to buy a new vehicle. With the Consumer Reports platform, you're able to see what the average selling price for a vehicle the way you want it equipped has been selling for. So if you're interested in a model, selling price, selling for. Anyway, the idea is that equipped like you like, what's the average that people are really paying? What's a good deal? In addition, 
there are discounts being made available because the Consumer Reports uh, customer base, when they decide they're going to buy something, they buy it. So it's a more valuable customer base than many others. And so there's money that is coming back to the Consumer Reports member if they buy a vehicle through their platform. There is something about the platform that frustrates me so much. And that is that the price that you'll pay for a vehicle is not clear for you until you click a button that then gives dealers your email address and phone number. And that leads you open to being barraged with spam and call after call after call. Whether you use the platform through Consumer Reports or anybody else, what I want you to do is set up an email address just for buying that car so that it doesn't pollute your normal email. And you should consider getting a Google voice number and give that for the phone calls that will be coming endlessly from dealers. So that's the one part of this that is frustrating, but otherwise... I really like the Consumer Reports car buying platform. Jay joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jay. Hi, Clark. How's it going? It's going good. Uh, You have the best financial show out there. And, oh, after 30 years of investing in the wrong smaller companies, you talked me into uh, researching Fidelity and Vanguard, and that's who I'm with now, who is wonderful. I wish we could tell the whole world to avoid uh, these high-fee brokers. (laughs) Well, full-commission brokers, the good news is their importance in the marketplace is shrinking because, and it's the broker's own fault, because they have fought tooth and nail against being legally required to put your interests first as an investor they have destroyed their credibility in the market. You know, it's bad enough that they charge 10 to 50 times what you pay with a discount broker, but on top of it, that they put you in things that don't have to be what's in your best interest. And so, I mean, you think when, you know, that old expression, you get what you pay for, that you think that if you paid more, like you have to with a full commission broker, that meant you were getting something better. But in one of the weirdest things in capitalism, when you go to a full commission broker, you pay massive amounts more for your investing, and yep. they're stabbing you in the back, potentially, at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I learned that all from you, so thank you very much. Certainly. But uh, what I was calling you about was um, the next stage of life after investing, I'm kind of getting ready for in five to ten years looking into retirement and two things on one uh one is uh, my wife and i do not have children so our pets aren't going to take care of us if we need it so uh (laughs) (laughs) so uh what do you recommend for long-term care insurance and when should i purchase it as well as uh the ultimate, we're all mortal. Uh, you have a recommendation for putting together your own will on your website. Okay. 
All right. So long-term care insurance is a very difficult purchase right now. The industry has uh, has been reeling. There used to be more, perhaps more than a thousand insurance companies that sold long-term care insurance, and now mm-hmm. we're down to a handful because they guessed wrong how long people would live and then how healthy or unhealthy they'd be as they got older, and it was a train wreck financially. I saw recently one of the insurers is having to come up with another, I think it was $3.5 billion to deal with losses on their long-term care insurance policies. So they are tough, tough, tough things to shop for right now. How old are you and your wife? Um, 55. My wife is 47. All right. I want you to let the clock run for a little while before you look at long-term care. You know, I I like it late 50s, early 60s. You're close to that. But as the market is still trying to find what it's going to be about, your wife's way too young right now for her to really think about it. And for you a little young, let's let the let's let some time run for the market to find some more stability. Now there's okay. something else I'd like for the two of you to think about. And it's something that you wouldn't look at for you till next decade of your life, but there's something known as um, longevity insurance. Okay. And it serves a different purpose. What it's for is usually buy it maybe like age 65, something like that. And it doesn't pay a penny till you turn 85. So the idea of it is you can plan to spend every penny you got in the world um, by your 85th birthday because so few people are going to actuarially going to live substantially beyond that age that from that point forward, you get a huge check each month from the longevity insurance. And it's something I really like for financial planning for people in retirement. Um, Agents never want to talk about it because the commissions on it are pitiful. But it's a a great product to have because so often people ask me, what do I do? I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't. And so if you're worried about what's going to happen if you live a really long time and so you deprive yourself at a younger age in retirement, that's why I really like it. Um, on the question about the will, so there are a number of sources if your situation is fairly simple. One that has been more popular of late is freewill.com. Okay. And that is a very, very extremely low-cost option to do a will for a very simple situation. You can do it, and they have a service where you pair with a lawyer who reviews what you've done which I, I like. And then the most popular of all is Willmaker. Okay. Which is a program you can buy, depending on where you buy it, um, nolo.com, N-O-L-O.com is the biggest seller of Willmaker. And with that product, where the prices vary, it'll, it'll range in the 40s to, I guess, as high as $70 for Willmaker. It just depends when it's on sale, when it's on coupon, and where you buy it. It's considered to be the best intuitive thing of asking you questions to do your will. And so that is a potential strategy for you to do your will. Other people use LegalZoom, uh, but I'm, I really like the product from Willmaker. 
Keith is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Keith. Hey, Clark. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, wonderful to have you here. Yeah, I have a scam that I want to let everyone know about while we're searching for apartments in Seattle. What happened? So we, we're we looking to switch apartments, and we're on Craigslist. We, we actually saw a couple of these, but one of them was just so good. It almost got us. We We feel like we're pretty good at sniffing out scams, but this one really took us all the way down. Um, they posted a apartment about 20% below market price. And I won't let you know what the price was because it probably scares some people with the Seattle housing. Oh, I know here, Seattle's in its it own was, orbit. <laughs> so it was like 20% below market price. Too good to be true. Um, so we, we, um, sent them an email and they actually had a, a real realtor's name signature um of, of a realtor in a nearby area had their their realtor identification number it was coming from the realtor's gmail account um and said hey yeah no it's available we have an open house in a month or so and we we saw this as you know a really hot opportunity and we said hey could we see it a little bit sooner and so we, uh, she says, oh, yeah, you can see it, but you, you have to put a deposit down on it, first month's rent, and um, sign some paperwork. And, it, you know, it amounted to a great deal of money. And so we said, well, we'd love to do this in person. We don't want to do this, you know, um, over the Internet. And they said, oh, no, we don't, we, we won't do it in person. Um, we'd love you for you to just send us the money. Oh, then, you started smelling the rat right then, didn't you? Exactly, exactly. So we we said, hey, you know, we see that you have an office in our nearby town. We why don't we just talk about this at your office? Radio silence after that. Um, so really, the thing that I that we were saying is we moved to Seattle from Milwaukee. And we actually got an apartment site unseen because we weren't we weren't in the area. So we really wanted to let people know if you know if you're moving to another city, it's probably even though it might be a little more expensive, it might be better to go with apartments that have management companies, well-established um, places, rather than going with private condos or something that you might find on Craigslist. That is a great suggestion. You know, about a month ago, uh, I did a Clark Rageous moment about this because this has become a hot scam where people are scarfing listings, legitimate listings, all the pictures, description, and all that listing them for rent in a variety of platforms beyond just Craigslist, and then before you know it, stealing thousands of dollars from people, your warning is so valuable, and I appreciate it so much. You don't even know how many people today you might have helped by sharing your experience, and I appreciate it. In today's Clark Rageous moment, I need to make sure you are aware of the hottest scam in the country. It's costing people big money. According to data from the Federal Trade Commission, the amount of money being stolen from people and pretexting with uh, pretending they're from the Social Security Administration, calling to talk to you about your Social Security number if you're younger, your Social Security benefits if you're older, has gone up 500% in just a matter of months. This is a terrible problem. The good news is that only roughly 1 in 28 people 
lose money in this scam. The others smell enough of a rat through the process and they don't get taken. But I need you to be skeptical anytime you get a call from a number that says on caller ID that it's from the Social Security Administration or on caller ID it says it's the IRS or it says it's from a bank you do business with or anything like that. The odds are overwhelming that that call is a scam. What you should do is actually don't answer based on the caller ID. Let something go to voicemail. If it is something you need to deal with, you can call them back. But don't engage in conversation with someone, no matter how credible they sound, when they start trying to get your personal information, hang up the phone. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask. So we are several weeks away from when the first wave of college students either go to college as freshmen or return to college. And there is a problem that had gotten smaller that has now gotten to be a real big one again. And this is based on research from the Public Interest Research Group that a terrible, terrible, terrible scam has skyrocketed on college campuses. Some people might take exception to me using the word scam, so that's probably right. I should probably modify it to ripoff. But over one million college students are using the piece of trash official campus account that the colleges are pushing. Here's what's going on that you've got to know. Colleges have sold their moral and ethic moral and ethical being down the river in order to get kickbacks from generally the biggest banks in the country. So what they do is they name a particular bank as the official bank of such and such school. They may even try and tie in the student ID card into the trashy, crummy account that the bank is peddling as the official account of that school. And so what happens to a student or student's parents, depending on who's paying the bills or a combination of the two, is the college is pocketing all kinds of kickback money and then the bank is charging the students a series of junk fees that way outrun what it would normally cost to have an account with many banks and particularly with credit unions. Now, let me tell you one of the most underhanded, rotten, terrible, awful things that unethical college administrators are doing around the country. They'll have a credit union available for the faculty, staff, and administrators usually also for students if they know about it, but they try to keep it a secret from the students so that they can make more kickback money from the high-fee bank that they've designated the official bank of the school. Now, this was a practice that had really shrunk, 
because of publicity and oversight that occurred in recent years, but the banks are feeling more full of themselves and they are in full court press to launch these kickback programs. Remember, the colleges feather their nest with this money and the college students and their parents get ripped off. Be aware of this and when you get to school and they're trying to get you to sign up for the official whatever, instead, ask your professor. Ask somebody with administration, what's the school credit union? And that's where you want to go. Rose is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rose. Hi, it's good to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. Your husband has taken a new job. Is he excited about it? Yes, he loves his new job. That's excellent. So, but his new job, he can't participate in the 401k plan until he's been there for a year. So I don't what? know what to what? do in the meantime. Wait a minute. They make him wait an entire year? Yeah. They can have a really good match after that, but like in the meantime, we're kind of in a rut because he has his 401k from the old employer. And I don't know whether we need to roll that or leave it, but I feel like we need to roll it to something else because it has high fees, but we can't roll it to the new employer because the new employer, he's not eligible yet. And I also don't want to not be saving money in the meantime. All right. Well, I got a two for for you. This will be really easy. Okay. Okay. So I'd like for him to go open an account with one of the low-cost companies, the three bigs, Mm -hmm or Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab, Mm -hmm. he can move that 401k money in what's known as a direct trustee-to-trustee transfer. In other words, the old employer will uh, encourage him to take a check from them for his 401k. He doesn't want that. Instead, there'll be a form he fills out at whichever of um, the three discounters he decides to use. There's a form he'll sign. Then they'll handle migrating the money from the high-cost former employer's 401k plan over to them that where it can go into low-cost investment choices. And if okay. your husband doesn't know exactly what to do with it, just put it in a target retirement fund for the year closest to when he would plan to retire with that money. Now, at the okay. same time, he can open a second account with which, whichever one he decides to go to and open a Roth IRA. And the Roth, he can contribute up to $6,000 in a year. Okay, that'll work. And so that combination will help him. If you want more details from me about how to do all that, if you go to Clark.com and go to my investment guide, Uh you'll see the write-ups on my favorite investment children. Again, they're Vanguard, (laughs) Schwab, and Fidelity. I looked at them and... I've looked at him because I knew that that was kind of the direction that we should probably go. I just wasn't really sure, like, you know, if we, if we roll it over, can we contribute to that or how are we going to have to do yeah, that? Yeah, so you don't the, contribute the to that. account. Yeah, you yeah. leave that segregated. No, thank mm-hmm. you for saying that because uh, I've neglected to say something very important. So you migrate the money to one of them. The money that's from the former 401k, leave it by itself. And the reason is, is if you leave it alone, it gives you the flexibility later, if you wish, at this new employer to move the money to them, you can move it to them, and that's tax-free, too. 
Oh, okay. So and once it he is go, eligible, then we could roll that into the new one, too. Right. Or if you're happy with how they're handling the IRA at whichever company you go to, you can leave that and just continue to contribute once he's eligible into the 401k where he is. But the Roth that he would be doing um, in the intervening year till he can start saving for retirement again through an employer, the mm-hmm. Roth has to be separate because the money moving from the 401k is going to be money that's in a pre-tax account. Right. And then the Roth is money that's after-tax money that goes in. And I like for you to have both a pre-tax pile of retirement money and an after-tax pile of retirement money. And that way, you're getting both those things done. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good plan. And I would just parallel in both of them, in his Roth and in the money he uh, rolls over from the old employer, just put them in the target retirement fund. Keep okay. it keep it simple. It, it, right. it gets you most of the way to a good allocation of how to handle your money, and it gets it done so much quicker and easier. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Thank right. you. And I hope the new job continues to be as promising as it appears to be. Lori is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lori. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Wonderful, Lori. How can I serve you? Hi. Um, I have a question. Um, I've been hearing you speak about um, the online banking, and I went to your website and found the information there, and then, um, you know, clicked on one of them and went to try and sign up for one of the online bankings because, as you spoke in the past, it has a higher um, interest rate for our savings. So I was looking at it, and then I was filling it out, and it had the question, um, single or joint um, for myself, and I'm married. And I was like, oh, um, I went to a fine, not, um, uh, attorney for, you know, preparation for, you know, what for if we were to pass away later to figure out what to do with that. And he had told me, because I had all my accounts only in my name, and that I should add my husband to my accounts. So I did that, and then I was thinking this is online, so should I do it again? Should I do it a joint account, or would it be okay to do the single account since I'm going to do the savings online? What are your thoughts on that? You know, that is completely personal preference. Because if you have it as a joint account, obviously either of you has access to the money at any kind, at any time. Um, If you are completely of one mind with how you handle money, um, if your values are the same about money, um, neither of you is, you're not in a situation where one of you is a saver and the other is a spender and that leads to tension in your marriage. If if your attitudes about money line up perfectly well, then I think it's okay for you to do joint. On the other hand, if there are value differences in how you feel and think about money, and this is your money that you're putting into the online account, I would keep it in just your name. Okay. So it's it's be the same if I were to pass away, though, and I, if I only had the single account, it would probably make it more difficult for him to have access to that money, especially since it's an online account. Yeah, but you can, um, as part of the registration, usually you can have, depending on the financial institution, you may have the ability to do what's called POD, payable on death, where at time oh. of your passing, the he would be the designated beneficiary, essentially, 
and the money becomes his, uh, basically it becomes his account or his money at the time of your passing. Oh, okay. So you can so call you can call the online bank, talk to somebody who hopefully provides customer service, not customer no service, <laughs> and ask them if you can open an account with it being uh, payable on death to a designated person. Because otherwise... Oh, okay. It would have to be something where, or they may have some equivalent they offer. Otherwise, it it's kind of frozen and passes based on what happens with a will. It's a lot better sure. if you can designate him as, uh, they may refer to it as a beneficiary designation or whatever, where he has quicker access to the money. But this sounds okay. so morbid. You're a planner, aren't you? I'm, yes, I am. I've been listening to you for over 20 years, and you've helped me plan and um, be financially sound. So I just want to thank you for that. Well, certainly. And, uh, and let's wish for you very long and healthy life, okay? Thank you. I plan on it, but you never know. That is true. We do not ever know when our time comes. Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dan. Hey, Clark. This is Dan, way down in Warner Robins, Georgia. How are you doing? Well, are you uh, are you in the Air Force? I work for the Air Force, yes, sir. All right, I figured that because Warner Robins has a very large and important Air Force base. With it, I've flown over. It has an extremely long, wide runway. Yes, yes. Good place to be. I've got a question about looking up or looking for folks from years ago. So... Facebook.com is where you register and try to find them. <laughs> well, I, actually, I'm looking for, like, phone numbers. And uh, it used to be that you went to the phone book or information. Sure. Those seem to have gone away. But it, if you want to look up uh, somebody that you went to college with decades ago or maybe worked with or whatever, you could, you know, uh, hit some of the sites. But uh, now everybody's got a cell phone, and cell sure. phones are not listed. In uh, a lot well, of they they things. are they are hidden behind paywalls. So, okay. if you want to try to reach somebody at one of the very obscure remaining landlines, those you'll find online usually for free. Is okay, and so that is available. I mean, sometimes even. With a Google search, you'll find somebody's landline number. But a lot of people, even who have landlines, never even answer them if there's a voicemail with it. They can't even tell you the last year they checked the voicemail. Right, right. people have gone so mobile phone-oriented. And so the companies that have those databases, if you go look, they all want money. And I'm not aware of any... Uh, quote-unquote service that is free because it's very lucrative business for let's say a debt collector is looking for somebody's number or um, a lawyer involved in some kind of action is looking for somebody's number or any of a number of things like um, like a television reporter looking so they subscribe to services or they pay for an individual inquiry for a number and I don't know, and we may get a suggestion from somebody, but I don't know of a way to do that for free. Okay, okay. Well, that was my question. More and more, when you when you go and look for stuff online, they'll give you maybe an address, 
and they'll say, oh, well, we can give you the email address and the phone number, too, but it'll cost you, you know, uh, $3.95 or whatever. So, so imagine guess, if you're somebody who's trying to get money out of somebody, paying 4 bucks for that, that's cheap. Right. But, <laughs> but for you just trying to reconnect with people who yeah. you've kind of slipped away, I, I was only half kidding about Facebook as a way to find them. So uh, you could also do something really analog, like it's 1985. You could send somebody a postcard if you see their address and tell them you're trying to reconnect. And so, or a letter. I mean, that still works. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Clark.com slash ask. That's where you post a question for me and then many different ways it gets answered, including Joel asking your question for you. What you got? Clark Jan's got an interesting question. says, I've heard something about a SIF score or a trust score to gauge if you're someone trustworthy enough to do business with. Have you heard of this and what's the deal with it? Yeah, so often now we do business online and companies don't know who to trust in many cases. And there are a number of vendors now SIFT being one of them that's talked about, there are others as well, that develop on you what's generically known as a trust score. And so they decide from the trust score whether or not you're likely to be a fraudster, likely to be a problem, or an unprofitable customer or a profitable one. The databases work in different ways for different business needs. The most common is with online shopping where it is about trying to stop fraudulent purchases that the business would get stuck with. And so our whatever trust score somebody's using is kept secret from us. And today there is no requirement like with a credit score that your trust score that's being used be disclosed to you. But it could be why you get denied a purchase because they think you're up to no good. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.